Hello, I'm Tamandra Harkness, and this is my own podcast, Tamandra Harkness Takes a Risk. In each episode, I talk to people who have a particular relationship with risk. I've also taken the risk of doing absolutely everything myself, including the editing and mixing, so I have absolutely nobody else to blame for any of it. In this episode, I'm talking to a probation officer about what risk means to her in her work. Yeah, my name's Jo Wood. I'm a senior probation officer based in Red Hill as part of Kent Surrey and Sussex Community Rehabilitation Company. So what does risk mean to you in your line of work? Well, risk, uh, risk is probably the bread and butter of what we do in terms of a job within probation. Um, we view risk in a number of different ways, particularly um, if you consider risk of reoffending and risk of harm. It could be the risk that someone, a service user, poses to an individual or to a specific group in the public or a member of staff or a child, or it could also be considered in terms of the risk they may pose to themselves. Risk of harm, we would look at that in a number of different ways, so the way in which a service user may pose a risk of serious harm to themselves, but we also consider the risk they pose to others, so the risk to the to potentially children or to the public, to a known adult, so someone where specifically they perhaps targeted before or someone who they're in a relationship with and the risk is present within that relationship or a family member for example or perhaps an an associate or someone they've been in conflict with Um, and we also consider the risk posed to staff either working with them directly or other professionals involved in their case. How scientific is that? Because, I mean, some people I've talked to about risk literally calculate in terms of numbers and they say, well, you know, we've got the the magnitude of the harm and we've got the likelihood of it occurring. But I imagine you can't do that when you're faced with a human being. If you consider risk of reoffending or risk of reconviction, that more often than not is statistical based. So I guess has that scientific element, looks at someone's age at which they first offended, the age at which they are now, conviction, how many of those previous convictions potentially are of a violent nature or a sexual nature and that goes kind of into an algorithm and gives you a range of scores or a range of percentages as to um, how likely someone is to be reconvicted within a 12-month period and a 24-month period of either a general or a violent offence. So there's a statistical element to reoffending in terms of calculating the risk someone poses or the likelihood of reoffending. In terms of harm, I think it's very difficult sometimes to quantify exactly how that is decided upon, but you take into account a number of factors. So you might have a service user who it may be their first conviction for a relatively low-level offence, something like shoplifting. However, when you get to know that individual and as you're kind of assessing their needs and the potential risks that they might pose, you might actually find that they've got quite a significant background or have quite traumatic experiences either as a child or growing up or in their current relationship. So it might not always be the risk that service user poses to others, but like I said earlier, sometimes the risk that might be posed to them, you might actually find that potentially that first conviction might be a bit of a cry for help. It can be quite extreme. What can appear on paper, a very simple scenario, quite often isn't always the case. It can become much more complex the more and more you look into that. So we look at a number of dynamic factors within their life, whether they've got protective factors, so things like accommodation, have they got stable accommodation, who are they living with, is that neighbourhood suitable? We look at substance misuse, relationships, finances, their education, training and employment and history around that. 
also mental health and emotional well-being and actually how certain diagnosis might contribute to how resilient or not so resilient an individual is and then actually how does that link us to whether you become involved in the criminal justice system or not. We also um, make significant use of working in partnership with police and children's services and mental health services, substance misuse services locally and nationally because you might hold information but when you join that bigger picture together and liaise with other agencies you build a much bigger picture. It sounds like a mixture of art and science that you have the algorithm which is put in numerical information and get a score but then all these other things sound a bit more subject to human judgment. I think it's a mixture of the two and I think people who work within probation are quite highly skilled professionals and you are trained very well to learn around individuals behaviours and triggers to offences and and links in research over the years the links between perhaps childhood sexual abuse and cruelty to animals or links to burglary offences they all also inform risk and your assessments I think a key part of your assessment as well becomes that individual service user who they are how they're presenting whilst a service user might come in and tell you what they think you want to hear equally over time you build up a picture of that person's character and you you get to get a bit of a feeling as to whether that is the correct scenario or is there something I should be a lot more curious. We use the word in probation, professional curiosity, and I think it's always that we do the job very much so because we believe people change. They can have those brighter futures, but equally, to be able to get people to that point where that brighter future is achievable but then sustainable you've got to exercise a high level of professional curiosity. That service user might be telling you everything's going okay, but actually there's a niggling feeling in you, that gut feeling that something's not quite adding up here. If you don't explore some of those things that don't quite sit right, or and if you're not professionally curious, you're never actually looking for... You're just accepting things at face value. It always becomes a bit of a detective game, but without that police side to it. You might make the decision to assess someone as posing a certain level of risk so we look at low medium high and very high in terms of risk of serious harm but also their risk of reoffending are categorized in the same ways what's what are the kind of things that will earn you a very high risk score you could be a low risk of serious harm but a very high risk of reoffending people tend to think that very high risk or high risk purely relates to harm but it doesn't you could have 100 previous convictions for shoplifting or acquisitive crime but still be assessed as a low risk of harm Mm -hmm. it's a nuisance and it does have an impact on society and the financial aspect but is it harm from which recovery is unlikely or impossible no you can be perhaps quite a prolific offender but not necessarily harmful in your approach whereas others you might decide pose a high or very high or medium risk of serious harm but it might be their first or second conviction but it's quite extreme in terms of perhaps the level of violence perpetrated or the emotional and psychological harm caused as a result and you also consider the impact that has on others you know whether a child was present was there an aggravating factor how difficult is it to combine the very dry things where you have the algorithm and you and you put stuff in and that presumably is based on all the past records of other people But then, as you said, you're working on the basis that this person here now is capable of change and you're looking at what you want to change about them. Are you using two different kinds of reasoning there? No, not necessarily. You're 
past behaviour always is an indicator around the potential for future behaviour. But like I said earlier, people do change and, and we work very much with people to support change and for them to have that future away outside of the criminal justice system. But I guess what's really important in relation to risk is risk is dynamic. For someone who might be having a very unsettled period, you might choose to increase the level of risk they pose at that point. And then you might find that through working with professionals or through them gaining employment and having structure and routine again to their day-to-day life, their personal circumstances stabilise somewhat again, in which case you then review your risk assessment and decide whether that remains at that level or whether you can seek to reduce that and has there been potentially a period of time where nothing has happened or there's been no further offences or there's been no incidents come to light. You're working with people and their behaviour the whole time. So if you were just to label someone on the first time they ever appear probation of a medium risk of harm and a medium risk of reconviction or it goes against the very ethos of the work in which you do and why you do the work, people do have that opportunity to stabilise and have those brighter futures you've got to be able to support them to work towards that and with that also comes the level of risk that someone poses you could look at someone perhaps potentially with a conviction of murder the impact of their actions was very high the likelihood of potentially that happen again quite often is much lower than people anticipate how often do people who've murdered once go on and murder somebody else I'm not too sure on the actual statistics around it, but I worked in the Public Protection Unit for some time. You may end up with a conviction for murder or attempted murder or manslaughter, but it doesn't always mean the intent was there. So I used to work with a young individual who did one punch to someone, um, hit their head and the person fell back and hit their head on the road or the kerb or something. And the impact of that was actually he lost his life, but was that the intent? of the individual who punched him no at the time was the outcome deserving of a sentence probably yes is that person likely to do that again in the future probably not but you've got to also support them to one serve a lengthy custodial sentence but two learn how to live as an adult when you're released because you know people go into prison for lengthy periods of time you could go into prison when you're 18 and come out when you're 50 and you've you've missed all of those adult years and, and what kind of, I guess, those formative years of learning how to be independent and learning how to live and budget and finance and all those things we take for granted on a day-to-day basis. They're all things you have to factor in, actually, when considering someone's ability to change and to manage and to what level of risk they then pose. You're making me think, I mean, obviously, as a member of the public, there's a bit of me thinking, well, I, I'd like you to minimise the risk that your clients pose to me and the public mm-hmm. so that makes me feel pleased err uh, on the side of caution but I'm now realizing that the if you are too concerned with let's not allow any room for risk then that in itself poses a risk on the other side there's, there's an element of when working with service users you have to walk with them in their shoes on their journey in terms of rehabilitation a phrase that always stuck with me is you you can do with and not for. If you're doing things for a service user, the chances of them maintaining and sustaining change or making significant shifts in their lifestyle to reduce their risk of reoffending or the risk of harm they pose, if you're doing that for them, yes, you get very short-term results, but long-term, you don't actually shift that much. It comes down to quite a almost a simple education for them to understand the impact of their behaviour. What have they done? Why have they done it? They've got to understand what triggered them. What, what were those triggers? What were the risk factors? 
what's likely to happen if they find themselves in the same scenario and I won't lie probation is is really difficult it's complex and it's rewarding in its own way because not every service user will make those significant changes but you do have the ability to impact and affect change in everyone's lives that you come across whether they're ready at that given point in time is another matter but you've got to work that out that comes down to some of that risk assessment and some of the skill in risk assessment because you could have a service user who it's quite clear isn't ready to change at that point in which case your approach around the risk assessment might be much more monitoring working with other agencies to contain a level of that risk whereas others might be at the point where they're really ready to change. How, how do you talk to them about risk? Do you talk to them in the same way that we're talking now? So it really depends on the service user in which you're dealing with and perhaps their level of understanding or their readiness to accept some of the difficult discussions you have with them. Part of working in probation and and dealing with risk is actually you need to be quite transparent about what you assess that individual to pose. If that individual doesn't understand fully what your assessment is or how you've come to that, actually the chances of you forming a professional relationship to work with them what I've found over the years, service users are much more respectful and whilst you can deliver some very difficult messages to them and they don't necessarily like to hear them, the fact that you're transparent, they very much value that and respect that. Exactly what is thought about either the offence they've committed or what they've done, at their behaviour as an individual. It's never the easiest conversation to have, but I think you do have to be transparent in terms of the risk. The only time when we may perhaps be slightly less transparent would be around where there's an immediate risk and safeguarding need in which case you would you know you don't want to heighten the risk to another potential victim or to a child is that because you don't want to kind of reinforce the idea that they might be about to go and and harm their children or like some service users will come in and be quite honest you know i've had one recently someone's come in has been quite honest and said, look, I really need some help because when I walk out of here, I intend to go and kill someone or what, say what, it out what, loud. what do you do when somebody says that? You have to take it seriously and you, it's around exploring with them. It's, it's not kind of being fearful of the information that they've given you. You know you've got to do something with it and you know you've got an immediate safeguarding aspect to deal with and work along closely with the police and children's services or adult services. But equally, you've got to understand what's going on for that service user. It's okay to be able to put all the measures in place and implement them but good risk management is around actually understanding why it is you're doing something not just putting measures in place and hoping for the best you've got not only a duty towards the public but actually that service user you have a duty of care towards as well what's missing at the moment for them that actually is making life feel that much of a struggle has the way that you have to deal with risk at work changed the way that you think about risk in other parts of your life I think, I mean, risk, uh, to be honest, risk at work comes quite naturally over time. So I think I think it probably has shaped the way in which I lead my life personally. But I'm not sure it fully informs it all the time. Knowing what I know from work and some of the intricacies of cases and for all the service users that make really positive change, you know, you do also have those really difficult cases where it doesn't go well and, and you've got that aspect where you were working with a service user who's gone on to commit a serious further offence. That can be really difficult. But I think if you fully allowed that to impact into your personal lives or the way in which you view every scenario you face, I'm not convinced that would always be healthy because I think in day-to-day life there's always a risk. 
for all the offences that I know and for all the service users that I've worked with over the years, I guess you're just as great a risk getting in a vehicle and driving down a street not knowing if you're going to have a car accident or not. It, do, it probably has shaped the individual in which I am and how I approach things, but it doesn't fully inform the way I do everything, I think. You, you seem very kind of calm and relaxed about <laughs> the idea of risk. I just wonder whether the fact that you deal with, yeah, from the sound of it, some quite serious risks and, and situations at work, whether whether you go out and it puts other things in perspective, or are you just naturally a kind of a very calm person who's able to make assessments about risk and, and then get on with it? I think, yeah, I think I'm, I'm naturally quite calm. Not all the time, but most of the time. And I think an element of that calmness or the approach, the calm approach to risk is a level of confidence in knowing what I'm doing and a level of confidence that comes with experience of the job. So I've been in probation for 14 years come October. Over time, you naturally build that confidence around knowing how to assess risk, knowing how to respond in different scenarios or a lot of responses to scenarios you find yourself in as well comes down to a very human approach. Everyone can make mistakes in life. Your friend in history doesn't have to fully define you. Going back to that kind of question around whether I'm quite calm around it, it's, I think it just comes with time that actually you know that you're capable of making sound judgments in relation to how you might address a situation. And every situation you address may be done in a slightly different way, but with the same potential outcome in terms of ensuring someone's safe or the public are safe. It's nice to hear you talk about risk in that way as a, a dynamic thing and a thing mm. that you can change by the judgments and the decisions you make. I come across some people who go, oh, well, you gather all the data you can and you bung it into a big computer and that will tell you the risk. And also that there's the phrase at risk, where people talk about at-risk populations, like mm. it's an adjective, as if, well, that's we've measured it and that's who they are now. And yeah. I always feel that's a very reductive way of looking at people because you presumably deal with populations who would be considered at risk, with a capital A and a capital R, and yet that's not how you seem to think about them at all. No, I think if I think back, you know, I've been in probation, like I said, for 14 years, there are the odd occasions where you've worked very closely with a service user as they've grown up and actually they've then become the parent of an individual that you potentially may see come around the system. And, and that has been difficult at times to kind of really think, did, was enough invested at that point? Or actually maybe that service user wasn't ready to change at that point. But equally, I've got the other side of it where I've worked really closely with the service user and their service user's family to actually prevent that from being that self-fulfilling prophecy and cycle for that family and the future generations of that family. Um, you know, it's not always just about working with one individual. Sometimes you have to work with those individuals who perhaps know that person far better than you do because they see them every day and they know what makes them tick that bit more because they're also the people that can best support and see that change and who most often are the ones desperate for that person to make some changes. I guess you can never quite fully quantify. It's a huge spectrum and you're always working at different levels within it. Service users don't fit in boxes. You know, each person's individual and unique and no one style fits all type thing. What I really enjoy about risk and risk assessments and my job is that actually you have the autonomy to really adapt to who you're working with as opposed to a set way of working for every individual. 
I'm not sure you could do this job if you were overly fearful. Because <laughs> I think everyone thinks a caseload of service users is people to fear, but actually they're just normal human beings, but their behaviour perhaps at that given time isn't appropriate, and that's what you've got to start shifting and understanding. That was Tamandra Harkness Takes a Risk. The music was improvised specially for this podcast by Johnny Best. And in a future episode, I'll be talking to him about the risks of improvisation. <laughs>